You're listening to audio from Grace Family Church. If you'd like to explore more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at gracepsl.org. Let's open our Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 13. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. As you know, for the last couple Sundays, we've been taking a look at, a fresh look actually, at the parable of what we call the two sons, otherwise known as the parable of the prodigal son. We're going to take a break from that this Sunday, and uh, we're going to look at a couple other parables that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 13, and the reason we're going to do that this Sunday is we are especially focusing this morning on one of our core values, one of our five core values as a church, and that value we call global life. Global life is the phrase that we use at Grace to describe the mindset of a, uh, of a believer and of a church that keeps the focus on the command of Jesus to make disciples of all nations. It is a mindset that says global is just as important as local. It is a mindset that says reaching the mariners, one of our unreached people groups, is just as important as feeding those who need food the food pantry, global and local. We need both in the church and we need to balance them between one another. We don't need to forget one in order to focus on the other, we need to do both. So global life is the the disposition that says, I may be a small business owner or a homeschooling mom or a retiree, but I still have a part in completing the great commission that Jesus gave us to proclaim the gospel to every people group in the world. Matthew 24, 14 says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all people groups and then the end will come. So I may not be a career missionary. I may not even go on a short-term mission trip, but I can still pray. I can still support. I, I, I can still encourage. I can still welcome home furloughing missionaries. I have a role to play in that because this is the corporate call of the body of Christ. And so global life is the heart that expectantly prays for unreached people groups of the world, and especially ours, the ones we have adopted, the mountain people of Central Asia and the Mariner people group of Southeast Asia. We'll talk more about that. But in order to maintain the core value of global life, and it's usually a value that slips from our grasp or our our grasp very easily, because we easily focus on other things. It's hard to stay focused on what you cannot see with your eyes. And so in order to motivate and maintain this core value, there are two things that we constantly need to be reminded of, especially when it comes to reaching groups of people that Jesus is not yet known in or unreached people groups. And these two things are revealed in the two parables that we're going to look at this morning from Matthew 13. I'd like to call them the parables of global life. I'm renaming them this morning. They're two short parables, but they make two very important and powerful points when it comes to being globally minded. Now, the first parable of global life is also known as the parable of the mustard seed. Matthew 13, 31 says this, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Now, although there are seeds that are smaller in Jesus' day in the ancient world, the smallest known seed was the mustard seed. However, in spite of being the smallest seed, 
it had, Jesus said, the potential to grow into the largest of garden plants. In fact, so large, it actually many times became a tree that reached anywhere between 10 and 15 feet. And that's why Jesus says, so that the birds of the air make their perch in it. And so Jesus is simply saying here that his kingdom, if you want to know what his kingdom is like, his kingdom is like this. It will always start out very small. It'll start out like a mustard seed. Wherever his kingdom is coming into play, wherever his kingdom is working, it usually starts out small like a mustard seed, but that it would grow into something disproportionately larger in comparison to its original size. And you know, that's exactly what happened after Jesus rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and the disciples began following the Great Commission. The original disciples were just a small group of people that amounted to only 120 but they grew into something that was incredibly large compared to their beginnings. They were nothing, and yet like a mustard seed, against all odds, they grew from 120 men and women in the upper room to 3,000 at the end of the first day that the church was born on the day of Pentecost. Historians and scholars go on to tell us within six months of Pentecost, there were over 100,000 new Christians in Jerusalem itself. And it kept on spreading from there to Judea, the next area, from there to Samaria, and in a mere 70 years, the entire Roman Empire in the first century. Three continents were touched. Europe, Asia, and Africa. Nobody knew their names. They had no UN connections. None of them had a YouTube channel. Yet history records they were used by God, Acts 17 says, literally to turn the world upside down. How did they do it? This phenomenon is still happening today in certain parts of the world. While, you know, certainly Christianity is declining in the Western world, it is growing exponentially in the global south. For example, at the turn of the 20th century, Africa was home to only a few million Christians, largely due to the gospel seeds planted 50 years earlier by David Livingston and other missionaries. But by 2000, 100 years later, those seeds blossomed into 383 million believers in Jesus today. In fact, more. So you go from just a million or two, 100 years later, over 383 million believers. By 2050, there'll be 1.3 billion Christians living in Africa. In fact, when people in 2050 think about a Christian, they will not think about an American. They'll think about an African or a South American. They will not think of an American. That's how fast Christianity has been growing there. The growth phenomenon is not only happening in large regions in the world, it's also happening in smaller isolated parts of the world. After the Islamic Revolution in 1979, there was only 350 Christians left in Iran. All the rest had left. 350. But they stayed, and they continued to do what? Mustard seed planting. They, they, They continued to plant seed. They remained faithful in spite of the incredible persecution. For years, nothing happened. And then about 15 years ago, providentially, a massive disillusionment began with Islam. And this disillusionment began to sweep over the entire country directed by God and has caused many, many people to begin turning to Jesus. And as of 2023, per capita, Christianity is growing faster in Iran than any other part of the world. 
Now, how does that happen? Did you hear the parable? That's how it happens. That's how the kingdom works, right? And it's, 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 it, Christianity is growing per capita the quickest in Iran in spite of the tremendous persecution. They lose their jobs. They get expelled from universities. They have their children taken away from them. In Iran, possessing a Bible will get you jailed. Sharing your faith can get you tortured, possibly executed. In spite of that, over the last 10 years, millions of Iranians have believed. A million Iranians have believed. A million in 10 years. And oftentimes, as a result of a dream or a vision of Jesus, thousands of small house churches have sprung up all over the country. Now, what happened in the early church? What happened in the African church in the, the ni- from 1900 to 2000? And what is happening in Iran today is what we are praying would happen among our unreached adopted people groups, the mountain people of Central Asia and the mariner people of Southeast Asia. We are praying for a move of God that is similar to that. And by adopted, I mean that as a group of Christians gathered together called Grace Family Church, we have committed ourselves over the years to the establishing of a self-replicating church among these two people groups, the mountain people of Central Asia, the Mariner People Group of Southeast Asia. That's why for the last 20 years, we just keep sowing gospel seeds. Why? It's the parable of the mustard seed. We keep sowing through our prayers, through our giving, through our going. That's why we continue to send and support long-term missionaries working among them. That's why we keep taking short-term trips. That's why we keep sowing small seeds, knowing that one day that they're going to grow into large plants because that's the way the kingdom works. We don't know how long that growth will be, but we know it'll grow. It's only a matter of time because the kingdom is like a mustard seed. And so we keep praying, we keep sending, we keep going. We keep loving, we keep sharing, we keep serving. We keep rededicating ourselves and obeying and sacrificing. We keep planning, we keep strategizing, we keep mobilizing. We keep planting these small seeds knowing that God in His grace will cause them to grow into something that is much, much larger, much bigger. That's our confidence It's in the way the kingdom works. We just need to do our part. Now, for the next few minutes, we're going to hear from our missionaries who are sowing gospel seeds among our unreached people group, the mountain people in Central Asia. They are working in two countries that are adjacent one to another. We're going to hear from them both. Now, because our service is being streamed, And anybody in the world can watch it on the web. And because the governments of both of these countries where these couples serve frown on missionaries, to say the least, we're going to be cutting the stream, if you're watching, for about 20 minutes. Our apologies, but it's necessary to protect the security of these two couples. And then after they speak, one live, one by video, we are going to come back, and I'm going to finish the second Global Life Parable And then Pastor Ken has a few words to say, and he's going to be announcing this year's short-term mission trips and how you can uh, find out more about them. All right, so we're going to cut the stream right now, and I'm waiting for the big magic wave of the hand back there. Heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, in the Bible, yeast is a metaphor for influence. 
influence. And that can be used either for good influence or bad influence. Sometimes yeast is, uh, it, it, it is used as a metaphor for false teaching or for legalism. But other times it's used for something good, as it is in this case, because yeast is used here to describe, just like the mustard seed, how the kingdom works. Now there's three ways that the kingdom is like yeast. First, it only takes a little bit of yeast in a lump of dough to cause it to expand. Just like the parable of the mustard seed, something small ends up producing something much larger than its original size. But the second way that the kingdom is like yeast is it does what it does from within the lump of dough. It works from the inside out. Yeast is alive. Yeast grows. There's an internal dynamic that produces change. And so what Jesus was communicating to his audience is that the kingdom of God was not like what they thought it was like. There would be no external visible outward victory brought about by the sword. There would be no glorious entrance of a king-like hero to bring the nation back to God. No, the kingdom would come in a much less obvious way. It would begin small, like a mustard seed, and it would change people by working from the inside out, just like yeast. Now, the third way the kingdom's like yeast is that nothing can stop yeast from expanding. I mean, once it's placed in the dough, it, it, nothing can really stop it. Even when you refrigerate it or freeze it, you take it out, that dough warms up, and all of a sudden, it starts expanding again. All you need to do is warm it up. Why? Because it's working from within. That's what the kingdom does. It works from within, and nothing can stop it inevitably. It may look like it's being thwarted, but ultimately, the kingdom will expand, and one day the kingdoms of this world will be the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. Now, this is very encouraging to us, not just globally, but also personally. In fact, let's look at both of those. The fact that the kingdom is like yeast is very encouraging on a, on a personal level. On, his, on God's mission in us. And that, of course, is to make us more like Christ. Since the kingdom is like yeast, the message of the kingdom or the gospel works in us like yeast. If I'm genuinely converted to Christ, He is constantly at work in me, just like yeast is constantly at work within dough. Even when I don't see it, even when I don't sense that he's working in me, he still is because it's like yeast in the dough. I mean, you can stare, you know, at, a, at a, a lump of dough and you go, not much is happening. The yeast isn't doing anything. But you leave the room, you come back later on, what? You notice something's happening, right? The, the bread is rising. Now the gospel of the kingdom works the same way. Not only in the world, but in our hearts. It does not work like dynamite or nitroglycerin or C4. I wish it would. You know, the work of the gospel in us and conforming us to the image of Christ, I wish it was like dynamite. Boom! And I'm like Jesus. It's all over, right? It doesn't work that way. It's very incremental. It's like yeast in dough, virtually unnoticed, beneath the surface, inconspicuous, from the inside out. And it works that way even when I sabotage it. Like if you were to take the dough and just kind of split it in two and throw it apart, you can't stop that yeast from still working in those two parts of dough. 
You know, even when I sabotage the work of the gospel in me through my own sin or self-righteousness, even then, Jesus is still at work in me, conforming me to the image of Christ. In all of my obedience, in all my sacrifice, and even in my apathy and my rebellion, He does not stop working in us. Because why? The yeast has been planted into the dough. You cannot de-yeast the dough. The process has started. That's why Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, the second way the parable of yeast encourages us is not only for God's mission in us, conforming us to Christ, but God's mission through us. In this case, globally. Since the kingdom is like yeast, it's always going to be expanding in the world until the message of the kingdom has arrived within every people group in the world. Because it's like yeast, it is an absolute certainty. Just like he who began a good work in me will complete it, he who began a good work in the world will also complete it. Jesus said this in Matthew 24, this gospel of the kingdom will, not maybe, not might, not possibly, will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will, not maybe, not might, not probably, but will come. Luke 13, people will come from the east, west, north, and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Habakkuk 2, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Zephaniah 2, 11, the nations on every shore will worship Him. Not maybe, not possibly, not might, but will. Why? Because the kingdom's like yeast. Nothing stops it once it's planted. Our job is just to plant. We can't control how fast it works or rises, but we know that when we do, it will happen. That is the confidence we have in God working in us, His mission in us, and also God's mission through us. Because the kingdom is like yeast. We can have tremendous confidence about the future. Not this future that man has planned, but the future that God has planned for us. Like yeast, the kingdom cannot be stopped. And just because we can't easily see the global hand of God at work, does not mean that the kingdom is not expanding. It is, and that's encouraging. It's expanding in you, and it's expanding within the world. Now, before Pastor Ken comes and announces this year's short-term trips, I want to give you an encouragement concerning them. One of the beautiful things about God's Word is the way it speaks to us so personally. Sometimes a, a verse will just come jump right off the page, and you go, that was what? For The parable of the yeast does that. It says to me that God is never going to give up on me. It says He's never going to leave me. It says He's always working in me. It says what He started. In spite of all my sabotaging of what He started, He is going to complete it. It's very personal. It says, I am with you. I am working in you. God's Word is personal to us. Let me give you a couple more examples of that. How about this one? John 3.16 God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, is that verse, is that verse just for some people, or is it personally for you? 
Is it written to everyone? Yes. Is it written to you? Absolutely. How about this one? Philippians 4.19, And my God shall meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Jesus. Is that promise just to the Philippians? Or is it also for you and me? Have you ever claimed that? Of course you have. God's our provider. God, your word declares that you will provide for me. See how personal God's word is to us. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Hebrews 13.5. Now, is that just for the Hebrews, that promise? Or is that a promise that's personal to you also? Which one? Is it personal? It is, isn't it? How about this one? Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. How long should I pause? <laughs> is that command just to the disciples or is that personal for us too? Right? See, you have to be careful that, you, that we don't personalize one passage, that we don't allow the Holy Spirit to make that passage personal to us. And then we depersonalize another passage. Like we could say Philippians 4.19, that's my prop, that's to me. And then we get to Matthew 28, that's for someone else. <laughs> no, the Holy Spirit's written all of them to be personalized to us, right? We have to be careful. But there's one more thing we have to be careful about with, that, with those verses in Matthew 28. We have to be careful that we don't write it off as, well, Jesus has called me to evangelize. That's not what that verse says. That's not the topic. Jesus did not say, all authority has been given unto me, therefore go make disciples among your nation. It says other nations. The command is a cross-cultural command. Certainly, we are to witness to our neighbors, but that's not what Matthew 28 is talking about. That's other verses. This verse is talking about going cross-cultural. This verse is talking about taking the gospel to other nations. And if it's personal to us, that means somehow I've got to be involved in that. But you say, hey, I'm not a missionary. Most of us aren't. Most of us won't be. A small percentage will be. But does that mean that we're to be any less involved in the personalization of the Great Commission to our lives and to our hearts? No. We're to be just involved. We just don't have the same role to play. Well, I don't think God's called me to... Be a missionary. Okay. Well, I don't think God's called me to, to take a short-term mission trip. That may be true. But He might be calling you to pray. He might be calling you to pray for these two people groups, to pray for that mission team, to support those that are going or to give. There's other things that we can do or welcome back missionaries on furlough. That's what the last fifth, four thing says there, to welcome. That means welcome home missionaries. Help them while they're here on furlough. That's being part of that just as much in the economy of God as the actual missionaries who are serving in that location. Learn, pray, send, go, welcome, mobilize. We're all to be involved in the global mission. Why? Because that verse is personal. But you have to be careful with that conclusion. Sure, I'll do a part. I see that. In other words, what this means, what global life means, you don't leave this service and you forget about the world until next global life service. It means that you think about it. That you pray about the people groups that have yet to hear. We can hear 
24-7. You can pretty much go to just about any location in this city and there's going to be a church within walking distance easily. And all of America is that way and much of the world is that way. But there are parts of the world that are not that way, where it is not that easy, where you can't hear, where people don't have, even within their sphere of friends or acquaintances, somebody who is a Christian. There's none. And that somehow should weigh on us. That's the, that weighs on the heart of God. And this is why the mission is make disciples in all nations. And whether you are a long-term missionary, you go on a short-term trip, you support, you pray, you welcome, you encourage, whatever it is. We're all to be globally minded, and that's the vision behind global life. It means we're thinking about it. It means it's on... It's on our heart. It's something that we stoke and fan the flames in our own life because we know this is the most important thing to God. It's His last words. It's the Magna Carta of Christianity. So you've got to be careful though. Okay, I'll pray. I'll go. I'll send. I'll, I'll support. I'll welcome. But you have to be careful with that because sometimes the heart defaults to sacrifice in the place of obedience. The heart defaults. It says, I'll pray. I'll send. In the place of obedience, I'll go. Don't be quick to assume that. Seek the Lord. Ask the Lord. Lord, is this my year? Is this the year you want me to go on a short-term trip? There are some of you then, you know, that God's been speaking to a long time about this and you're delaying your obedience. And it's not because you're unwilling. It's because you're, you're probably one of those people who say, like, what difference could I make? Who am I? What do I have to give? Man, if there's one thing you should learn from these two parables today... <laughs> There's a lesson to learn is don't underestimate the significance of small things, small seeds, small particles of yeast. Don't underestimate what God can do through you by the Holy Spirit. It may not be outstanding, but whatever is done in the name of the Lord is significant in the kingdom. And you can make an eternal difference in somebody else's life because there is power in the seed. It's not in you, it's in the seed. The seed of the Gospel, the seed of the Word. It will, Jesus said, produce some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. And there is absolutely nothing that can stop the yeast of the kingdom Jesus kingdom means that one day this whole earth will be swallowed up by his kingdom thy kingdom come what thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven it's part of the model prayer that Jesus came that's the end goal and we have to keep that end goal in mind and not get sidetracked or or or, or, or lose our focus on this ultimate thing we have to keep the main thing the main thing You can do that. Pray, send, go, welcome, mobilize, encourage. You can make a difference. Let's welcome Ken Chrysler as he comes now to share with us. Some of uh, what we have on. Thank the... you, Pastor Jeff. Oh, you got it. Okay, thanks. Yeah, before I mention a, a couple of uh, short-term trips that we're going to be doing this year, um, I just also want to just give a little bit of a seed testimony uh, that we saw happen over in Southeast Asia among the Mariners, and, uh, and really kind of sets up uh, what we'll be talking about for short-term trips. But um, it was back in 2015, and we welcomed a group of young adults to come over and, and just hang out with the Mariners. And we really had two reasons. Help kind of encourage and support our national team 
of missionaries over there, which at that time, at that point, it was only one guy um, working among all, you know, in all of those villages. But then also, we just thought, you know, let's bring some, some spirit-filled believers in. I mean, imagine that when there's just one believer in just that one village, let's bring in a team of spirit-filled believers and just kind of, you know, kind of amp the, the, the volume of, of the Holy Spirit in there and folks that are, are gospel-centered. We didn't have an avenue really to bring them in, so we just said adventure tourists. We went to a couple of islands. But in that, they were having this huge multi-village celebration. There was probably, our village was included, but there was probably 14 villages or so. And so we went up that evening to the, uh, the uh, soccer field to be a part of that. So you can imagine, it was a team of five, and then me, it was six Westerners in this place of, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Southeast Asians. So we stuck out like a sore thumb. But that was a good thing because there was a local woman um, who knew English. In fact, she was an English teacher at a local middle school. And so she saw us and she immediately, you know, she was glued to us because she had never had the opportunity to speak English with a native English speaker. And so from that, she got the crazy idea, hey, um, would one of y'all like to come into school and just, uh, you can take over my English class and you can teach English. They never heard of a native speaker either. And luckily that one person that she presented it to um, was willing to go and do that. And in fact, that person's in this congregation right now, but I'm not gonna point him out. And uh, just from that one little seed, y'all, now we have English up. We've been doing this year after year after year. We have, um, if I could bring four teams over this year, it wouldn't be enough for the demand that they're asking from all of the schools that have had a chance to partake in this. We have schools, and just, just this last week, uh, Hanley was telling me, another school contacted her, when is the team coming? When can they come here? So all that started from just, we had no idea. And we didn't have a platform. Now we have one of the best platforms, I mean, I've ever seen, not just in Southeast Asia, but that I've ever seen that, that works so integrally with the long-term vision of reaching an unreached people group is English Up. And so um, all that started with uh, a few folks being obedient to that call and then God working that and putting that together. So, um, and that leads right into our first short-term trip. We're going to be bringing at least one team this year and, uh, to Southeast Asia uh, to work among the Mariners and we'll be doing English Up. And what English Up ultimately looks like, well, let me give you the dates. This year's trip is going to be from August 23rd to September uh, 6th. And what this trip really looks like is the team comes in and during the day we, we go to the local high schools and we teach English. And then during the afternoons and then into the evenings we go into the various villages that are close to those high schools. We meet again with those students that were so excited to hang out with us during the day. They introduce us to their parents, their families, neighbors. We all end up gathering in a big house and that's when we have the opportunity um, to share our testimony, share from God's word, pray for them. Um, we even had one year an opportunity to actually start um, a Bible study. It's the beginning of discipling that we would do in, in a family just from an English Up team. So that's going to be August 23rd to September 6th. The second uh, trip that we have is to a destination we've never been to before. We've been to dozens and dozens of countries, um, but this year we're going to be going to the country of Moldova. And Moldova is the, is really, it's the poorest of European nations. Um, in fact, we just met with a Moldovan on Friday and he was explaining this to us. Um, they're tucked right between Romania to their, that'd be to their west. The Ukraine is to their east. And um, they only have about one and a half percent 
evangelicals in the entire country. And if you look at Joshua Projects, um, that's an unreached people group site, their, their normal standard is two. You know, if you can get to 2%, we'll say you're not unreached anymore. These guys are only at 1.5. They don't come up as unreached people groups, but they're definitely least reached. And, uh, and there's probably two reasons for that. For one reason is the Russian Orthodox Church is there, and they're pretty, um, they're pretty strong. And uh, that's one reason, one of the hindrances there. And the, and the second one is because they were a communist country for decades and decades. And both of those things have kind of stifled the gospel. But we are working with uh, Operation Mobilization Moldova. Those guys have been doing this over there since 1975. They were, bringing, they were smuggling Bibles in when Moldova was still, um, you know, under communism. Uh, now they have a huge team, and now what they do is they equip church planters, um, equip, inspire, and, uh, and come alongside. And their goal is to, well, to come back, I, I missed this one detail. There's about a thousand villages in this little bitty country that's about the size of South Florida. There's about a thousand villages that don't have any evangelical presence whatsoever. And what OM Moldova is, is uh, committed to do and part of their vision is to see 100 churches planted, at least in 100 of those villages by 2030. And so what we're going to do is we're going to partner with them. They're actually going to put us in partnership with a local Moldovan church. And so folks from Grace are going to go from folks from Grace Moldova. I don't know the name of the church yet. And we're going to go out together and, and plant a church. And so that's the, the second uh, opportunity that we have. Now, if you're interested in either one of these trips, and not just in the sense of going, um, you know, as Pastor Jeff mentioned, maybe you just want to know more about this so that you can decide what is my part going to be. Um, we are going to have uh, two interest meetings. You only need to come to one, however, but uh, immediately after service on February 4th, next, uh, next Sunday, and then the following Sunday, immediately after service. Those meetings are going to be about an hour and 15 minutes, and we're going to go into all the details of both of these trips and, um, and just what those next steps would be if, if you want to be involved in that. And so what we need you to do, please, if, if you could register, we are going to serve a light lunch. And uh, you can register on the church app and just go to events. Or we're going to be out in the foyer afterwards, Leo and myself. Um, if you'd like to get a little bit more information, we're not going to let the cat completely out of the bag, okay? Don't try to extract that much information. Um, but we'll be there to answer any of your questions. You know, one last thing I'd like to mention before we pray and, and close the service. Um, somebody pointed this out to me. You know, and we're, by the way, we're back live, so I'm not going to mention any names, but we, we heard from two couples, right? And then you're hearing from me. And what's interesting about all of us, one thing we have in common is when that seed was planted in us, we were sitting out there. We all had different professions. We all had different callings. We all had totally different directions that we thought the Lord was taking our life on. And then a seed was planted. We all ended up going on a short-term mission trip. And then, well, here I am. <laughs> and I, I don't say that to scare you. Um, I say that to encourage you. You know, I just want to reiterate um, what Pastor Jeff said. Don't underestimate what God wants to do through you. Don't underestimate that. And, and I'll be honest, that's kind of like my mantra even to this day because when you get into this, when you get into anything, any ministry or just even in your Christian life, you have this tendency to just kind of go on autopilot and just kind of glide a little bit. But God's not done with us yet. 
And God's not done working through us yet. There's so much more I believe he wants to do in all of us, in all things, not just in reaching the unreached. And I just want to encourage you to um, just be expecting that. Be expecting to hear from the Lord what that is. Be, be, be expecting that seed to be planted. Again, whether it's going, whether it's praying, it might have something to do with some other ministry even. But God's not done with us yet. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are alive and you are active and you are working and you are doing amazing things and in the future so many more amazing things and yet you would invite us. You would invite us to come in and be a part of that. And so Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that you would want to involve us in what you're doing, not just locally, but even more as we talk about today, throughout the world to reach those that have never even heard once the name of Jesus, to reach those that have never had the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you opened our eyes to even be involved in this. And we thank you, Lord God, that you continue to call us and move us and push us forward into seeing your kingdom come. And so, Lord, we pray that again right now, Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come. Lord, we pray that every nation, every tongue, every tribe, in fact, we know they will come to know you. All the peoples will praise you, Lord God. And so, Lord God, we just continue to invite you. Use us. Please use us to help speed up that process, Lord God. Send us out. And Lord, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts collectively as a church as we continue in global life, but speak to our hearts individually as well. What would you have us to do today, Lord? And we look forward to hearing your voice. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a wonderful Sunday. Again, if you want to get any more information, we'll be out in the foyer. If our prayer counselors can come up, um, maybe want to pray about what God's just been speaking to your heart. There's a few folks down here that can pray with you. Otherwise, have a wonderful Sunday.